G'day, and welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Key areas of focus are industry analysis with key stakeholders, policy makers, engagement with farmers and producers, and working to close the rural-urban divide. Farmers work hard, they love the land, and are a critical part of New Zealand's fabric. There are many things for farmers to think about, whether it be drought, market conditions and farm gate returns, and increased pressure from the public or policy makers. Working with Postquake Farming, we are taking a look at what farmers are doing to improve their businesses, their biodiversity, their land use and their well-being. Events like earthquakes and climatic factors have a significant impact on New Zealand's farmers and producers, so it is important and relevant in my view for all farming communities throughout New Zealand to learn from events such as the Kaikoura earthquake. Before we get into this week's episode, let's take a quick look at the beef and lamb market. We have seen rain fall across many regions that were in need. Whilst the rain is welcomed, this time of year in frost prone areas any upside in terms of pasture growth will be limited. For beef, processor backlogs in the South Island have restricted upside in schedules or farmer returns on price paid per kilogram. Prime and bull in the North Island over the last week have been closely matched at around the $5.20 per kilogram mark. In the South Island, prime and bull were processing at around the $4.60 per kilogram mark. Equally priced, but down considerably on the North Island market due to those processor backlogs. We should start to see those backlogs improve in coming weeks. Store prices are remaining steady, with a North Island R2 450kg steer fetching around $2.60 per kilogram in the north and $2.40 per kilogram in the south. We have seen upside in lamb prices for both islands over the past couple of weeks. During the second week of June, North Island lamb was around the $6.90 per kilogram mark and the South Island $6.60 per kilogram respectively. Whilst demand is there, we will need to see our traditional lamb markets improve in order to avoid downward pressure on farm gate returns. In this episode, I'm talking agritourism with Genevieve King, whose family farm in the Clarence Valley, north of Kaikoura. Their farm was devastated by the Kaikoura earthquake. Genevieve and her partner have developed a mountain bike tourism business on the family farm. I am also talking with Mark Ingalls. Mark is an accomplished mountaineer, motivational speaker, and is heavily involved in the tourism industry. Firstly, I will check in with Genevieve. Hello Genevieve, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can you tell me a bit about your family farm and where it is located? Yeah, we're on Middle Hill, which is up the Clarence Valley, north of Kaikoura. And yeah, our family's been here since my dad was young. It used to be a high country pastoral lease. And so now it, we've got 520 hectares of, yeah, still some high country and hill country and flatland, which my dad has run sheep, beef and deer on in the past. And our family's sort of in the stage of going through succession and figuring out how to take a bit of the workload off my father, even though he probably doesn't want that. The succession is a challenging process. Yeah, it is. But yeah, we, we seem to be going through it pretty well. Were you affected by the Kaikoura earthquake? Uh, yes, we, we certainly were. Our property actually has the highest vertical uplift ever recorded um, in an earthquake around the world. We got pretty shaken around. We've got the Papatea Fault 
going through our property, which lifted the land up to 10 to 12 metres in places. Um, so the old homestead I'm sitting in now is, is 10 metres higher than it was before. What sort of infrastructure damage happened? Well, we obviously didn't know the puppeteer fault was there and the people who built all the infrastructure on the farm obviously didn't know either because it went through the house, the deer yards, the wool shed, the sheep and cattle yards, the cottage, um, most deer fences on the property <laughs> and a few tracks. So yeah, it, it hit us pretty well. It's been a pretty stressful time, particularly for your father. Yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, he, you know, he's, he spent his life developing this place and, you know, he loves it here. And um, just around the age where he's starting to think about the next step and suddenly he was rebuilding um, deer yards urgently so that we could, you know, try and gather up the stock that had all got out all over the place. And um, yeah, and after that, yeah, fencing and new wool shed, new house. So yeah, it's been huge for them. But you know, three and a half years on, they're in a, a new home and things are actually pretty good. So, yeah, at the time it was very stressful, but it's, it's there's been plenty of silver linings, that's for sure. I understand you have developed a tourism business on the property. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, my partner Morgan and I have opened a mountain bike park. Uh, so we opened in October so it's all still pretty new but um yeah we've been building trails for a, a couple of years now on one of the hill blocks on the farm um so yeah at the moment we're we're mainly just catering for mountain bikers who sort of have a bit of experience in, in their own equipment and we shuttle them up to the top of the bike park and for as many laps as they want to do sort of sort of similar to to a ski field without the chairlift, I suppose. And yeah, we're still working on, on increasing more, more trails. And yeah, that's, that's my main focus, really. Has COVID-19 had a negative impact on your business? Um, it's funny. I, I would have to, if I'm being completely honest, say it's had a positive impact for us. Um, we, you know, we'd been open for a few months. We were a bit busier than we expected in our first season. And although we had to cancel some big bookings and, April was looking quite busy. Most of our clients are from New Zealand, most of them from the top of the south. So they'll come back. <laughs> um, they are coming back now. And it was a perfect time for us to actually stop and look at what we were doing and what we needed to change and, and where to from here. So we actually got a lot done in that time. It's, yeah, it's actually hasn't been an entirely bad thing for us. You touched on succession earlier. Adding tourism to the farm provides another income stream and must spread the risk profile, but it will also allow the farm to support more people through diversification and support that succession process. Yeah, certainly. So my partner and I, we're not sort of we're, we're not first and foremost farmers, <laughs> um, but I would never want to see us lose the property. So this is sort of my take on you know what I can do on the place. We'll, we'll be taking over. Um, some of the deer and a few other bits and pieces but things will certainly be changing around here um, and yeah rather than just my father running this huge place on his own it'll the farm will be starting to support my parents my family and my brother's family with what they choose to do so yeah so we're definitely starting to yeah support more people on, on the land I guess. 
What do tourists get out of the bike park? Is it simply just another experience on the land or are you planning to see people come away with a deep understanding of farm life and a connection with the food produced off the land? Yeah, I, th- I think it's already happening. Even though a lot of our clients are Kiwis, I think, you know, they're not coming to a bike park with a chairlift and a cafe. and They they turn up and they usually have to open a, a gate for us and they're certainly a part of, of farm life. We're keeping it pretty pretty authentic, pretty rustic, I guess, mm. which uh, which I think people are really enjoying. It's a, it's a real experience. And we, yeah, we have plans to include more accommodation and food in the future. I, I've done a lot of cooking in, in the past. Um, that was kind of my main career before. So yeah, I'd love to start incorporating well, yeah, feeding more New Zealanders venison and, and food off the land and they can see it right there in the paddock. They can see the veggie garden and, and you know, experience a, a real paddock to play meal, <laughs> I guess. I ask this question a lot. Do you think there's a disconnect between urban populations and rural communities? Yeah, unfortunately, I, I do, definitely. And I see it in my own friends, people who I know well, and, and we can get into some pretty spicy debates. Yeah, I'm quite passionate about where I grew up and what our family has has done for a living for my lifetime and, you know, the families around us. So, um, yeah, it's interesting to see that sometimes there's farmers seem to be getting put into one big broad category that sometimes isn't portrayed in the best light in the media and people sometimes don't don't have a chance to have a, a balanced view on what farming's about. So I think it's it's cool to, to have people on the property and show them, hey, this is what we do and um, there's the deer running around up on the hill there and they look pretty happy. Mm. <laughs> you know, um, I do think there's a bit of a disconnect and it would be great to break that barrier down a little bit. You know, mm. we're a nation surrounded by agriculture and and seems to have been kind of forgotten a little bit by some. So, mm. yeah. What does the future look like for agritourism moving forward? I think, I think that people are enjoying getting out into, um, you know, having some like bespoke experiences that, that aren't sort of catered to the masses, things that are personalised and, yeah, so, so I think there's a great future for agritourism. Um, I do think that there's probably going to be a lot of, of farms choosing to diversify into tourism and I think that what's important is that we lead what we're doing with with passion rather than than maximum profit at, at the forefront because that's you know what what creates a really authentic experience um so yeah i think if we can do that then we've got such an amazing playground in our backyard that that can be enjoyed by by tourists and and the domestic market as as well as still producing food and and functioning as as a farm thank you very much for chatting with me today genevieve no worries. Factor Magri will return after this. Welcome back to Factor Magri. I'm talking with Mark Ingalls. Hello, Mark. Thank you for talking with me today. Oh, hi, Angus. You're well known for your extraordinary survival on Mount Cook and your very impressive mountaineering achievements in general, including being the first double amputee to summit Mount Everest. What is keeping you busy currently? And can you please tell me a bit about the work that you do? Right. Well, as always, I do a multitude of things. So I still do uh, my corporate motivation work that I've been doing for the last 15 years. 
about 25% overseas, so that's not looking too bright at the moment. Uh, but uh, I've also, for the last three years, been working with Piranui Trails, and so developing mountain biking, uh, road cycling, walking trails, mostly in North Canterbury and the Huranui, but also consulting around the country. And so I've always been a cyclist. I especially love my mountain bike. So for me, it was a, um, it was a real, real natural um, affiliation, really. And I just love seeing people out there on their bikes, uh, experiencing uh, that great backyard that, well, um, everyone that's listening to this will understand that, but um, there's a lot of people that don't. Will the corporate market be your target market currently, obviously with our borders being closed through COVID-19? Uh, for my speaking it is, but for the trails, no. For the uh, post-COVID, um, just in Hamner Springs where I live, we have seen the busiest, most diverse demographic on our trails than, than I've ever seen in the, in the 17 years I've lived there. It's, a, it's amazing. People have discovered um, uh, what's outside and they've also discovered the true value of not being enclosed, of, of being out, you know, it's just such a powerful thing. And now is the opportunity to make the most of it. Do you think people have suddenly rushed outside because they've been cooped up for so long? Yes, there's some of that. It's, um, I've, I see families out on super cheap bikes, you know, that, um, that would be their first bikes that the whole family's ever had out riding trails, whooping and yelling that the, the sound of the kids and the families in the forest is just amazing. And it's, it's, it's people trying to find where they can do it, but they also need, in some cases, to do it um, pretty economically. But at the same time, we're seeing uh, a lot of groups of, of really high-end mountain bikers out there uh, hammering the trails. It's like uh, they don't want to be locked up again for another eight weeks. Farming is New Zealand's biggest land use, so it makes sense that agritourism plays a part in New Zealand's overall tourism industry. Do you see the potential for growth in agritourism? Oh, huge. You know, I grew up uh, in South Canterbury. Um, my dad was a shearer. Um, I was a tractor driver for a few years, so, you know, I do understand that the, uh, the agricultural industry to, to a reasonable degree. I, did my degree at Lincoln, so um, even though it's not a, an agricultural degree, I've been immersed in it. And the thing that I'm constantly stunned is that we're always missing an opportunity to sell the concept of our agriculture to, to the 90 odd plus percent of people that live in towns and cities, but also uh, introduce those people in the towns and cities uh, out there. There's a huge opportunity out there, but it does take um, effort and it does take a bit of thinking about. Do you think it is important for farmers to diversify and include tourism in their businesses from an economic perspective and an environmental one? Well, for anything, you, it's, I'm probably the worst person in the world to ask because um, you know, I'm a 60 year old with uh, attention deficit disorder still, so I love mm. to do different things. So. I, um, I'm always looking for the different opportunity and I get frustrated when I see people that have really blinkered um, looking uh, uh, view. The, the real strength that we have um, in a post-COVID world, because there'll be other, other challenges that'll come along, is to increase that, that breadth, that stability that you have and you do that by diversifying. Um, keep the focus on what you need to do 
but just keep on adding. And if you can't add it in yourself, find someone that can help you do it. That's probably the biggest challenge for Kiwis is that we uh, we don't recognise the value of getting someone in. You know, it's um, someone in to cost share, someone in to equity share, do whatever you need to do. You don't have to actually do it yourself. What are your thoughts about the domestic market in terms of agritourism? Is there a potential here to not only support businesses but potentially improve the perception of farmers from our urban communities? Some talk about the urban-rural divide. Yeah, I mean, the urban-rural divide is there, but it's um, it's because of faults on both sides rather than um, than people working together. Collaboration is the essence. You know, I, I spend my life speaking to corporates around the world on collaboration, and then you come home and you see it not working, and you think, well, there's a bit of work to be done here. And so it's on. Uh, there's there is um, opportunity on both sides to improve that. Uh, people need to understand where their food comes from, you know. Uh, but also, by the same token, farmers need to understand the challenges uh, that people living in the in the towns and the cities have, and how they might not share the same. Um, um, ethos that that you know a farmer does. So there's a real opportunity to change that, uh, but it's it's going to take um, flex on both sides. So you're confident in the future for agritourism and of course tourism in general. Yeah, totally, uh, very much so. But it's also not a um, a golden goose. You know, it's the um, the the in many cases there there'll only be a minimal amount of um, income that you can scratch out of putting a mountain bike track in, but there's a huge amount of supporting the mountain bikers that come and do it. And so it's about giving thought uh, to having realistic uh, understanding. One of the great things is anyone can go out and build a mountain bike track, Um, but the really hard thing is to build a mountain bike track that people want to go to and one that's been built in a way that, um, that, that meets the market. And that's the biggest challenge that I see in the agritourism efforts uh, uh, happening at the moment, especially around people wanting to get mountain bikers on their land and, and try to extract um, you know, some income out of them. Well, actually, the, the first questions that you need to be asking is, who are you building it for? What grade are you building it to? How are you going to sell it? What, what, how are you going to draw the people in? And so it's, it's a lot harder than what you think, but the, the long-term pull is, uh, is, is great. Do you think we've got the opportunity to really take a closer look at how many tourists come through New Zealand? Yes. Um, the, I mean, go and visit Mount Cook at the moment. Oh, whoa, it's back to being 1985, you know, back when I lived and worked there. It's, uh, it's a busy time, but it's not swamped. And so it's about the managing of the numbers. We need people to come in from overseas. We can't just rely on ourselves, just as the agricultural industry needs the export market. The, uh, the tourism industry needs people coming in, but it's the, the opportunity is to manage it uh, far better than it has been in the past. Thank you very much for your time today, Mark. My pleasure. Snow's starting to fall at home in Hamner, I hope. I'm heading home to some snow on the ground. It's, um, it, it may not be um, what every farmer wants, but um, oh, my skis are ready to go. <laughs> Good on you, Mark. Thank you to my guests today, Genevieve and Mark. 
Genevieve's family farm was devastated by the Kaikoura earthquake with substantial infrastructure damage. Homes, buildings and fences were hit hard, leaving utter destruction. Stock were lost into the high country and right at a time when Genevieve's parents were thinking about succession and reducing their workload. Their ability to roll the sleeves up and rebuild everything is quite extraordinary and a testament to the people they are. Succession appears to be going well for the kings. Clearly, they have had good constructive conversations early and are diversifying their business by adding a tourism venture. I like this approach because it allows them to maintain their traditional pasture-based farming system with their deer, sheep and beef, whilst using a small land area to develop a tourism business. They are not having to intensify the land and trying to increase the output of the farm through increased stocking rates to support more meals on the table. Mark had some great thoughts, and in particular around the urban-rural divide. He echoed some things that I have said previously around the need for all New Zealanders to get on the same page and collaborate. If we can do that, then our primary sector will, I believe, reach a state of harmony. Whether we like it or not, farming is critical to our economy and if we can take a long-term position on agritourism, then our traditional farming models will remain intact whilst continuing to improve practices and efficiencies. And farmers' businesses will be more diverse with more than one income stream. In the year ending December 2019, 3.8 million tourists visited New Zealand. Farmers need to really seize this opportunity and think about how they can capitalise on not only inbound tourism, but also domestic tourism. I hear that in some instances, tourism businesses are busy post-lockdown, which is great to see that Kiwis are getting out and about. Mark talked about Mount Cook and how it is currently busy, and a bit like the 80s, but not heaving like it was pre-COVID-19. It is great to hear that Kiwis are getting out and exploring a special part of the world. Agritourism is not simply about profit. Genevieve talked about the importance of doing something you love, of considering an agritourism venture, which I believe won't be hard for all farmers to do. Some of New Zealand's greatest tourism activities include many things farmers do on a regular basis, whether it be riding a bike, dropping a line in a river, or genuine Kiwi hospitality. Our farmers live and breathe this stuff. I also believe our farmers in New Zealand have a greater ability to offer their food produced on their properties to agritourism customers this will have a material benefit on our products being consumed when those travellers return to their home countries. We are a unique country with a unique offering, a pasture-based, low-intensity farming systems with world-class landscapes and down-to-earth hospitality is an opportunity to grasp. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factum Agri.